Alrighty, let's go ahead and get started. We're just a couple of minutes behind, but we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Glad to see everybody kind of moving a little bit and talking, and that's just wonderful, just wonderful. We're in lesson seven in our class about Bible authority. We do have some extra workbooks if you need a workbook. Uh, you know, just let us know. We do have some extras in the lobby there, okay? And if you get one of those, you can keep it. Even if you're a guest, you can, you can keep that, okay? For those who were here on Wednesday night, we started Lesson 7. And remember, in Lesson 7, we began by talking about how to establish Bible authority. Now, let's be clear what we mean with that language. When we talk about establishing Bible authority, okay, that's, you know, kind of, big language there, so let's simplify it. When we talk about establishing Bible authority, all we mean is we're trying to learn how to use the Bible correctly. We're trying to learn how to use the Bible properly. We're trying to learn how to use God's standard properly. Remember on Wednesday, we talked about how in life we, all, we got all kind of standards, right? Things that help us measure things and find the right standard. We got rulers. We got speedometers. We got things that help us understand the value of currency and measure temperature and time. We have all these kinds of things that help us find a right standard, but we made the point that none of these things do us any good if we don't know how to use them, right? Got to know how to use this stuff. Got to know how to use a speedometer and a ruler and a, and a thermometer and a clock. Well, the same is true with God. The same is true with God's standard. And so what we want to do today is we want to continue studying how to properly use God's standard, which is the Bible. Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are so thankful, Father, for the opportunity you've given us to come together to open up your word and learn how to use it correctly. As we've even tried to do in our first lesson this morning, Father. We pray, Father, that you will help us be good students of the Bible to correctly look at text and to harmonize text and to just learn how to properly use your sacred word. We ask you to bless all of our Bible class teachers, all of our young people in their classes, and especially we pray for the men who lead this good church that you will bless them, Father, and bless us all. In Jesus' name, amen. And so when considering this lesson about Bible authority, we had a question that was under consideration, and that question is, how does God authorize a practice? How does God give us permission, authority to do something? And so we said that there were three ways, there were three ways in which God authorizes a practice. What was one way? A direct statement which is also called a commandment. Same idea. God directly tells us to do something or not do something, or he commands it. What's another way God authorizes a practice? And is it just any kind of example? It's got to be an approved example. Something that, we call it also an apostolic example. Something approved by the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. An example they give us that is approved by God. And then a third way that God authorizes a practice. It goes by two different things. A necessary inference, also called an implication. God implies something from a text, and we infer from that. 
So God is the one that implies. We are the one that makes the, the, the inference. So let me ask you this. Are these things invented by the church of Christ? What do you think? Are these invented by us? Did we come up with this stuff? Did the guys in the restoration movement come up with this stuff right here? What, what is this? Say it again. Everyday stuff. Another way we could say that it is every it's an everyday form of what? Communication. That's how we talk. These are common methods of communication. We use them every single day. You probably use all three even this morning. You probably use implication 50 times this morning without even realizing it. And so that's important. These are the things that these are the ways in which we communicate. And we have some application points. As far as the direct statement goes, remember the direct statements when God tells us to directly do or not do something called a commandment. We looked at several passages where you find direct statements. We looked at those Wednesday, Adam and Eve in the garden being told not to eat from the forbidden tree. Noah being told to build an ark. The Ten Commandments. Go and preach the gospel. Stay away from sexual immorality. Love your brother. Love your sister. All those are direct statements. What is an example? When you have no direct statement existing, but God has shown us by the approved actions of others, that a certain thing can be done. And so in Philippians 4, and in the passages in 1 Corinthians, we find the apostles telling us to follow their example. And we find some examples that we need to follow. Acts 20, verse 7. When to take the Lord's Supper, Galatians 2, confront your brother to his face when you notice that he's in sin. So we talked about example. Implication. This is when God has not authorized by command or an example, but by implication and the language that's used in the text. Implication is not technically the same as necessary inference, okay? Implication is what God has put into the language of the text. Inference is what we draw out of that, what we conclude from the language. God, the speaker, implies. We infer. So there's a distinction that needs to be made there, although they are essentially Essentially, we're talking about the same thing. It's important to know who's doing what there. God implies we infer. So, application points. We didn't make this stuff up. We didn't make this stuff up. And to reject these principles is to reject logic. It's to reject how people communicate every day, whether they believe in God or not. To reject these principles is also to reject God's authority. It's a flat-out rebellion against God and it's holding God to a standard, uh, not holding God to the, the, to, the, to the same lines of communication that we use. Holding God to a whole different standard. You know, so often people only want God to talk through direct statements. And yet, what's the most neglected book of the Bible? Probably Leviticus. <laughs> and that's the whole book is done by direct statements. But nobody wants to read Leviticus. So, no, God didn't just talk through direct statements. That's a lot of it, but there are other things as well. We got to know how to see these things and use God's standard properly. So any final comments about that part of the study? Brother Gary, go ahead, sir. Yes. 
The totality of God's word must be considered. Great passage from Psalm 119. The sum of your word is truth. And, and that is certainly what Jesus is trying to get Satan to understand with his misuse of Psalm 91. What's the rest of that story? Absolutely. Uh, any other comment before we move on to the next part here? Remember, this is your one. If you use it, you lose it. So, all right, let's keep going here. Okay, so now that we have defined the terms that God gives or, or, or how God gives us instructions, and, and let me just say, you know, people will say, well, you don't find these terms in the Bible. So they, so they have a problem with that. You don't find direct statement, example, implication in the Bible. Well, let me tell you what else you don't find in your Bible, because it always amuses me when people come to me and say, well, we don't find that language exactly in the Bible. It could be this or it could be something else. And then you say to them, where do you find gospel meeting in the Bible? You find that in the Bible? You okay with that? Where do you find congregational singing in the Bible? You okay with that? So let's not get ridiculous here. You got to call this stuff something, okay? So while you might not find the direct language in Scripture, the concepts are there. You got to call it something. Right. So let, let's make that clear. So now that we've defined the terms, let's see if we can recognize them in the Bible. What I want to do, what I want to do is I'm going to put a list of some things here. These are the final questions in lesson seven. So if you've done that ahead of time, you're ready for this. I'm going to put a list of something on the Bibles from the from the scripture, something we do as a church. Something we do, something we practice. And I want to see, and young people, if you're ready for this, you get first grabs at it. I want to see if we have authority to do it. Do we have authority to do it? If we don't, we got to stop it. We got to stop it today. So let's start with this right here. Remember, we want to give everybody a chance to say something. So when you comment on this, be confident because this is your only shot right here. So church building. Do we have authority for a church building? What do y'all think? Raise your hand if you think we got authority for a church building. Let's go home then because we shouldn't be here. We're all in sin right now. Raise your hand if you think we got authority for a church building. Okay, where do we find that authority from? Do we find it from a direct statement? Do we find it from an example? Do we find it from implication? Who, who, who wants to step up to the plate and back up your belief? Because if, you if you're not convicted on this, you're in sin right now. Where is the authority? Yes, sir, Brother Lance. Where are we commanded to assemble at? Oh, Hebrew, Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25. But yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got you. So here's my thinking on that. First off, I do believe we do have some homes here that are big enough to hold us. I think Greg Nelson's home could hold us. I think Jason's home, his backyard could hold us. I believe that. I think it's big enough to hold us. So I, I, don't, I don't think God authorized it because somebody doesn't have a big enough house because there are lots of wealthy Christians around the country and they still go to places with church buildings. So are those places in sin because they have a church building with wealthy members? 
So that's what we got to figure out. Where is our real authority for this? It can't be based on what our logic is on it. It's got to be something directly from the Bible. And you were right with the first part. Hebrews 10, 25. It is implied in Hebrews 10, 25 that we can have a church building. Can somebody read Hebrews 10, 25? Read the passage for us. Who wants to read that if you don't mind, please? Raise your hand. You can read Hebrews 10, 25. Go ahead, Brother Lance. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So the Bible says God wants us to assemble. This is an assembly, right? Is this an assembly? Can you assemble, and listen carefully to the language, without a meeting place? Okay, give me an example of a, a situation where we can assemble without a meeting place. Because what is a meeting place, first off? What is a meeting place? The, la the language is clear. It's a place where you, it's a place where you meet. So, is Jason's backyard a meeting place? Is Greg Nelson's house a meeting place? Is a gymnasium a meeting place? Is the parking lot a meeting place? Okay, so a meeting place is any place that you meet. Does God tell us where to meet? Therefore, it is implied in the text that we have authority for a church building because God generically says meet, right? But he don't tell you where to meet. So you have what's called generic authority for a church building. Now, if God has said to us, hey, just meet in somebody's house, guess what? We limit it. Can't have a church building. And if God said to us, just meet in an open field, guess what? We're limited. We can only meet in an open field. But since God just says assemble, he leaves it up to us to decide where that is. It could be at Brother Greg's house or Jason's backyard or at our house or in a gymnasium or in a rented facility somewhere. It could be in the Cardinals football stadium. It could be the Suns basketball stadium. It could be any place, including... A church building. Yes, Brother Greg. What's interesting is that this is an example of both implication and example working together because when the church was first formed, they met in the temple. It was so large yeah. it couldn't be anywhere. Yeah. We have people meeting in houses, and then we have people just being told to assemble without any specificity. That's a great point. And this is where God expects us to make a, a good conclusion. Yes, use some judgment. Absolutely. And, and, and this the, a good word for that would be liberty. We have liberty here, right? Just like we have liberty on the order of services. And liberty, liberty do a lot of different things, right? But does somebody else have their... I, I thought somebody else. I saw somebody else. So, yes, Brother Dunn. Go ahead, sir. There is an overriding factor in all of these questions, though, and that is the, the main purpose is edification. And is our choice of a meeting place edifying not only those who are Yes. But also those who are around us that need to be taught to be Amen. Amen. And I believe you see that, especially where, where the early Christians first met, which was the temple. You're, they're meeting up in Solomon's porch, and, yet, and they're surrounded by people who are not Christians. So God gives us liberty here. He gives us liberty with this. All right, I got to get moving because we've got a lot, a lot more of these to do. So let me get going here. Next part, baptism. Yes, yes, sir. Go ahead, Lance, real quick. I, I just want to follow up. So, so really quickly. As, you know, 
hear, repent, and believe, be baptized. We know the Bible gives examples, but if it requires it, it mentions it in one spot, it might re Oh, good grief, really? That's God telling you that you're breaking rules. Okay. Okay. Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. So we know that um, regarding authority, if the Bible says something is required in one spot and something else is required in another, we know those things are required together. And that's that's why I brought up earlier. Church building, yes, it's all, you know there's authority there. But it also, like Dawson, it has to be edifying. And I also mentioned it has to be orderly, right? So we have to have a meeting place, but then there's other requirements at other places that authority binds on what that meeting place has to be. I agree with that. I think that's good. So, sorry for... No, that's good. That's fine. Okay, so the next part, baptism. The point is we can't just do things because it makes us feel good or because we like it. That's the point. If it doesn't come from God, we can't do it. So if we're not okay with the fellowship hall and we got we say we got Bible for that, right? Let's go all the way. Let's go with the church building too. Do you do we really have authority for it? Because it's not enough just to be against the fellowship hall. We gotta be against all things that are unauthorized. And that, that would include even a church building. So we gotta make sure we got Bible for the church building. Otherwise, we gotta change the game. Or we're sinning. So what about baptism? What you got on that one? Where is the authority for baptism? Baptism for remission of sins. Raise your hand if you got the answer on that one. Yes, Sean Michael. Sean Michael says direct statement. Absolutely right. Mark 16, 16. Yes. Acts 2, 38. Acts 22, 16, John 5, 3, verse 5, where Jesus says you got to be born of water and the spirit or you can't enter into the kingdom of God. That's a direct statement, isn't it? So that's a direct statement for baptized. That's why we baptize here. Because Jesus, the Bible has specifically commanded it. What about plurality of elders? Yes, Micah. Direct statement. Okay, where are you going with that one? Yes, so let the elders, that's good. 1 Timothy 5, that's a good one. Anybody else got one? I like that. Micah says direct statement. What do you got? Anybody else got one? Yes. Uh, Kevin. Acts 14.23. What do we find in Acts 14.23? Can somebody read Acts 14.23, please? Who can read Acts 14? And this doesn't count as your comment, by the way, so that's okay. Who can read Acts 14, 23 for us with a loud, booming voice? Brother Rick. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with baptism, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So what you find there, and I think Micah gave a good answer, and I'm going to just add to that, Micah, is a great example of a plurality of men being appointed in churches. They didn't appoint an elder in every church, did they? They pointed elders. What about 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, where Peter says shepherd, when he speaks to the shepherds among you. That's also an example. That's an example of, in the New Testament, 
the churches that Peter is talking to have elders among them. What about Titus 1 and verse 5, where Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every city? That's another example. So, and, and also, here's another example that, that's often neglected. Notice how the preacher there in that text is told to be involved in that work. He's told to be involved in helping the church get elders. Um, and, and Timothy's also told that even though he was working with a church with elders, the preacher is involved in that. So there are examples. Uh, there are examples in the Bible of plurality, a plurality of men being appointed to lead God's people. That's why we have a plurality of men leading God's people here. What about this next one? Benevolence. But benevolence for saints in another part of the country, of the world, what do we have on that one? How do we have authority to send money to saints in Africa, to saints in, um, Mitch, what's the name of that place? I'm sorry, sir. Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Where do we get authority to do that? Yes, Nathan. I believe you're talking about the church in Corinth. So that's a good one. The church in Corinth did that. Brother Tony, yes, sir. What's your answer on that one? So I'm, I'm specifically talking about using the money to take care of saints in other places. Like not, not here at Monta Vista, but in Sierra Leone. Okay, good. And, and specifically in that text, Paul is talking about saints in another place when he's talking to the Corinthians. So that, that's good. Right. Brother Mitch, you had your hand up, sir. Go ahead. Some, can somebody read, well, Mitch, would you mind, sir, reading Acts 11, 29? That's an example. An example from the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch used their funds to help brethren in another location. That's pretty clear. And that was under the direction and help of the apostles and the elders of the church. So we have an example for that. Do you see where we're going here? We're trying to make sure we got authority for everything we do. We have to be sure we can't just do this because we've always done it that way. What about the next part, the Lord's Supper? But the Lord's Supper, notice the question, every first day of the week. Where do we have authority to do it every first day of the week? Who wants to answer that one? Brother Jonathan. So can so somebody read Acts 20 verse 7? When you, when you quote a verse, read it for us, too, if you don't mind. Anybody got that? Actually, go ahead, Ryan. On the first day of the week, when we are gathered together, break bread, Paul began talking to them in the next day and said, Whatever you eat, do it So the text begins by saying, on the first day of the week. Does every week have a first day? If I say Lance and I go fishing on Thursdays, what is the implication of that? Lance and I go fishing on Thursdays. We go every Thursday. 
You got the example, right? And you also got an implication. Because the text doesn't say they only did it once a month, one first day of the week of the month. It said they did it on the first day of the week. Last time I checked, every week's got a first day. So that's implied they did it every first day of the week. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am, Sister Joan. That is a great point. I didn't even think of that. Joan gave a great one. In the Old Testament, when God said, remember the Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments, did he have, did he have to say, okay, make sure you do it every one? He just said, remember the Sabbath. They understood the implication that it was every Sabbath, right? Same with us. Do y'all see that? That's why we do it every Sunday. Young people, I want you to see this. There's a reason why we do what we do, okay? Supporting elders and preachers. It's kind of a trick question here. Financially, do we have authority to support elders and preachers financially? If so, where's the authority? Who wants to take a stab at this one? Do we have authority for that? Someone who hasn't answered yet. So much for my paycheck on, uh, next week. Yes, Margie. Yes. So Paul there's talking about preacher support. So there he is directly saying, hey, I could get paid for my work. Can it imply elders too? Absolutely. Well, 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, and I wrote that down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, and his verses, I believe, let me just turn there real quick. So I thought I had wrote it down, but I didn't. Yes. Gary, can you read that, please? The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And do verse 18, please. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So there you have a direct statement from Paul saying the elders are worthy to be paid if a congregation wants to do that. That's what it's talking about contextually. The laborer is worthy of his wages. It's talking about elders there. Not muzzling the ox while it's, while it's working. That's talking about elders there. So this was kind of a trick question. You got two answers for it. You have a direct statement, but you also have examples of this being done in the Bible. You have examples of, of men of God getting support. You have the example of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, or Philippians, I'm sorry. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. In Philippians 4 and verse 15, Paul talks about how the Philippian church was the only church supporting him for a while. They paid Paul money. They sent him money for his work as a preacher. That's an example of a church paying a preacher. And then you got a direct statement from 1 Timothy 5 concerning elders and from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 concerning preachers. So you have authority from the Bible to pay preachers and to pay elders even. You have that in the scripture. But I didn't just stop there. There's some other things I had on here. What about training preachers? Do we have authority to train preachers? Does a church have authority to train preachers? What do y'all think about that one? Do we have authority to train preachers? Or should preachers go to preacher school? To the cemetery or the seminary? I call it the cemetery. But, but, I mean, if, if, if we say colleges shouldn't do it, 
then who should do it? Okay, how do we know it's okay for the church to do it? How do we know it's okay for the church to do it? Brother James, yes, sir. Well, I think there, James, in my understanding, that's a proverb there. I think you're talking about Proverbs 27. I think that's specifically they're talking about parenting there. It's a proverb that if you, you know, do the right things with your kid, more than likely, they'll turn out well. But can I give you a passage to look at, please? Can somebody read 2 Timothy 2.2? 2? Can somebody read 2 Timothy 2.2? 2? Who wouldn't mind if you got a nice, loud, booming, God-like voice to read 2 Timothy uh, Brother Kevin, go ahead, sir. So Paul there is saying to Timothy, you're a preacher. Get busy training some more. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Equip other men. So a preacher... And Timothy's working with a church at that time. He's working with the church in Ephesus. And so what you got is a direct statement. You also got examples of it. Who, what is Paul doing all the time? Even when he's sent by a church to another place. He's sent from Antioch to somewhere else. Who is, what is he doing all the time? He's equipping other men to preach. He equipped Timothy right away. He's got Silas with him. Paul's always doing this. And then the implication there is found in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, where if the preacher is to be involved in the work and Timothy is working with a church, then certainly the church would be involved in the work of spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, which would include equipping more people to do the work. Do you see the point there? We have authority all over the place to equip men, and we do that all the time here. I mean, we're thinking about bringing someone in at some point to, to train to preach. But even beyond that, every time we let a brother get up here and preach a sermon once a month, you know what that is doing? That's doing 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. That's equipping a brother to preach, to teach. There's nothing wrong with that. We have authority to equip more workers in the kingdom. That's one of the missions of the church. Evangelism, right? Evangelism. Now, I put some extra ones on here. I'm just going to go through these real quick. I just want to show you some extra things, okay? Just to, make, to keep driving the point home. Next one, singing. You know this one. What do we have on that one? Direct statement, right? Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, giving, like we did this morning. Direct statement, 1 Corinthians 16, give as you prosper on the first day of the week. Church discipline, where do we have authority to pull back fellowship? Because we do that from time to time here. We have to. Where do we have authority for that? Where do we, are we just, man, we shouldn't be doing that then, I guess. Where do we have authority to exercise church discipline? Is that a direct statement, an example? Or by implication? That's a, that's a direct statement. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What about Matthew 18, where Jesus says that when the brother won't repent, after you go with one or two more, you tell it to the? Direct statement. Direct statement. Rebuking elders who continue in sin. That's 1 Timothy 5 also. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that if there's elders in the church who continue in sin, they're not above God's law. You have to rebuke them in the presence of all. That's a direct statement. 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. What about appointing deacons? What about appointing special servants in the church? I believe you got Acts 6 on that one. 
You got an example of men being appointed to lead with benevolence, but also I think you can go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul specifically tells uh, Timothy to help the church get deacons and gives the qualifications. Here's my point. Here's my point. God gives instructions the same way we do. And for our young people, I want you to understand this. Listen to me carefully, young people. Whatever we do, whatever you do in religion, make sure you got Bible to back that up. Don't just quote, speak what the Bible speaks, be silent what the Bible is silent. Live it. Everything we do has to have God's authority. Otherwise, you know what the truth is, my friends? We're no different than the people we speak against. We're just like them. We got to have authority for this church building. We got to have authority to sing, give, appoint elders, appoint deacons. We got to have authority to do discipline. We got to have authority for this pew. If we don't have some authority from God by either a direct statement, example, or an implication, we got to stop it. Because if God will strike down Uzzah and he's trying to do some good and keep the ark from hitting the ground, how do you think he's going to do us? And we're just saying, hey, we're just doing, I don't know why I'm doing it. Everybody, everybody, I guess the elders okay with it. Good no, got to have authority from God. And I just want you to see, young people, there's a reason why we do what we do. And if you ever feel like if you got something I didn't think of, young people, go home and talk to your parents about it. Ask them, hey, Sean didn't mention this. Can you sit down with me and, and tell me why we have this? Why do we have that? Get that stuff worked out now. Don't get 18, 19, 20 and say, well, I'm just going to lead a church because they, they, they didn't really know why they were doing what they were doing. Start talking about this stuff now so you can have real conviction. Okay, so let me give you this last part. We'll talk more about this on Sunday. But to kind of further explain some of this stuff in Lance, this kind of goes with what you were saying, sir. To kind of further go with what you were saying, we're going to have a class on, on Wednesday about generic and specific authority. And I know y'all kind of been waiting to get to that. I'm trying to take this in stages. So now that we've looked at direct statements and examples and implications, we're going to start Wednesday talking about the difference between generic and specific authority. And again, just like the previous thing, this right here is also common methods of communication. We use this every single day. Define our terms. What's generic authority? Well, generic authority... It's when something is authorized, God says it's okay to do it, but the means, methods, or persons for carrying it out have not been specified, okay? Where God has not specified, and goes back to what you said, Greg, there is liberty to use whatever means are lawful and expedient. So an example of this would be Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Where are the generic instructions there? Okay, so go. Jesus said go. Did he tell us how to go? So if I want to go preach, I can jump on a horse and go, right? I can get on a boat. I can get on a plane. I can get in my car. I can get on a bicycle. One of them little scooters you see folks riding, these little crazy little things that shine and all. I can go many different means as long as I go. God doesn't limit me in how I go. Do you see any other generic instructions? Here's another one. Baptize. So does God tell us where to baptize? He just says baptize. So I could baptize somebody in a baptistry or in a lake 
a river, Jason's swimming pool. I could, when I was in Africa, in Botswana, those people had never been underwater before ever. And so we had to go find some water, fill it up in a tub. And then we got this woman, I got in there with her. She had never in her life had her head underwater. And I'm taking her under, and she wouldn't let me. She was just freaking out bad. And I had to do it like three or four times, literally. But we had to go find some water to fill it up in a, like a little container to baptize her. So that was a, that was a life, you know, threatening experience for her. But that was okay because God didn't tell us where to do it. One more just real quick. Specific authority. This is where something is authorized, but the means, methods, or persons for carrying it out have been specified. When God specifies something, there's no liberty, no wiggle room there. An example, Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Where is the specific instruction? Preach the gospel. Don't preach the Book of Mormon. Don't preach Islam. Don't preach mathematics, world history. Preach the gospel. And then remember Naaman. He was told to do what? Go to the Jordan, wash seven times. No wiggle room. Then you'll be healed. We'll talk more about that on, on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I'm going to do this for you, okay? Young people, be ready for this. I'm going to show you Wednesday that this right here is so easy that a little girl with a lot of hair like Samson can even do it. She even gets it. I'm not going to give her no prep time on it. I'm going to show you that Wednesday. You ready? Be here Wednesday for that, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.